Good morning, everybody. I, I have missed you all a long time. No speak. Um, I want to thank Rabbi Nicole Auerbach for being your teacher over the last month while I was away. And I'm um, happy to be with you again. Um, as many of you know, I had the great joy of being in Israel for almost a month studying with a pluralistic group of rabbis at the Hartman Institute. And I got to be immersed in the world of Jewish texts and have root to study and contemplating ideas of ethics and power and identity and the big questions of life. And I was reminded of what a privilege it is to be a rabbi and how wonderful it is to be learning Torah Lishma, just learning for the sake of learning. And I spent time with Israeli journalists and friends and family in Israel. And my love for the people who make Israel their home was really reignited again. I hope I can embody some of that inspiration. This morning, I wanted to think about endings and beginnings because when it comes to Israel and our larger story, I realized what a difference it makes where we decide to end or to begin the story. For example, right now, we are almost at the last book of the Torah. We're finishing the last Parsha of Numbers. We're going to start Deuteronomy next week and uh, preparing to get to the end of our five-book Torah reading cycle after the High Holidays. Now, how does the end of Deuteronomy, you know, end our story? Perhaps you know, it ends with Moses standing on Mount Nebo, looking over into the promised land, and then he dies. He never makes it to Israel. In fact, none of us make it to Israel at the end of Deuteronomy. Our Torah ends with dreams unfulfilled, with a sense of promise and potential, but no resolution, no victory. But if you go to the very next book in the Bible, the book of Joshua, the one that follows Deuteronomy, Joshua and the Hebrew people enter into the promised land. Now think about how different our story would look if the Torah had six books instead of five and ended with the book of Joshua. Why end with us on the edge of the promised land? Instead, we just, we, we, we don't get to go in and we start and finish that Deuteronomy reading and go right back to creation. And it's just an endless cycle of reading that leaves us never quite making it to the promised land. It's a very interesting choice of our ancestors. And I will leave that to you to contemplate why, why our ancestors canonized the Torah scroll with five books and with this ending rather than with six books and the ending of us entering into Israel. But to contemplate, to complicate things even more, did you know that if you keep reading the Hebrew Bible in 2 Kings, there's a story of Gedaliah, who is a Jewish governor appointed by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar to rule over the Jews in the kingdom. 
and a few rebels assassinate Gedaliah. And then out of fear of retaliation from the big Babylonian king, the Jews who are in Israel flee. They flee back to Egypt. Yes, you heard that right. Somewhere in the sixth century, after the Jews had finally entered the promised land again, we screwed things up and we were not exiled, but we fled ourselves back to Egypt. Now, what if that was the end of our story? Where should we end? With dreams unfulfilled, with entering the promised land, or with going right back to Egypt, the source of our enslavement? And where should we begin our story? I want to tell you that I had a most complicated day visiting uh, the city in the West Bank called Hebron, which I might call ground zero of the occupation on the West Bank. Hebron is a town of about 250 Palestinians and 600 of the most ideological settlers, Jewish settlers in Israel. They have to create an entire kind of island of sterilized roads uh, to protect 600 Jews who want to live in this biblical city. It is the site of the tombs of the patriarchs, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. Um, and we began our day in Hebron on Tel Rumea, which is a, a Tel is a uh, like a biblical hill um, created by kind of layers of civilization. It's a hilltop filled with olive trees. And it has, we saw remains of stone walls that date back to the time of Abraham and Sarah. It's kind of incredible to be walking in the stones in the city where they are supposedly buried, uh, but definitely with remnants of, of architects, architectural pieces and walls and stones and roads from their era. It, we also saw two giant mikvahs, ritual baths. And we, of course, visited the tombs of the patriarchs, which is surrounded by a giant edifice built by Herod 2,000 years ago, the same guy, Herod, who built the second temple to its glory. Um, that, that alone is quite astonishing to see. But the question that's being asked today about Hebron is, do Jews belong there? And I guess it depends on where you begin the story. If you start in recent memory with 1968, which is when the first kind of radical Jewish settlers re-settled um, in Hebron after the Six-Day War, they came to celebrate Passover, but then they illegally squatted in a building and refused to leave. And over time, others followed. Something about their being there, if we begin the story there, post-67, feels totally wrong. But they might point to 1929, where there was a massacre of 69 Jews who had lived in Hebron for many generations. And then the rest of the Jews who remained in Hebron were forced to evacuate in 29. If you start their story there, they'd say, we still have buildings with, where we, we own them. I met a Palestinian resident who lived in a home in Hebron that has been in his family for over six generations, more than 300 years. He would point to 
this place being his rightful home. Or we can go back many layers and layers when different civilizations and people live there, including going back to Abraham in the Bible, who we see a story in our Torah of Abraham purchasing a burial plot for Sarah from the residence of Hebron. This is the first purchase of land in the Holy Land that we see. Or we could say, well, but Abraham was buying a plot from people who lived there before him. So where does this story begin? I don't have easy answers. What I was reminded of, however, is how we can each tell vastly different stories about ourselves and others, depending on where we begin our story and also where we end them. In terms of where we begin, I might say, who lives on the land? Who gets to be on the land? If we really truly begin with where we all began, then we all belong to the land. The land does not belong to us. And where do we end? When we tell our own stories, do we end with a dream unfulfilled? Or do we end up in the promised land? Or do we end up right back in Egypt? I invite you to think about the stories we tell about ourselves, depending on where we begin and end them. With a contemplation that really, we are part of a much bigger story that does not begin or end with any one of us. Our mantra today is Ein Sof, which literally means there is no end. Ein Sof, no end. It also happens to be the mystical name of God. The Kabbalists see Ein Sof as the God before self-manifestation. In other words, it's the God before there was a beginning. And Ein Sof, of course, means no end or infinite. So Ein Sof is the reminder that there is no beginning or ending, truly. So I invite you to close your eyes if you haven't already. Take a deep breath in. And let's offer up a gratitude. Thank you, God, for the gift of this day. And as you're breathing, if you want this mantra of Ein Sof, I invite you to take it in. But even if you don't, as you're taking in your breath, I invite you to feel part of the Ein Sof, of the infinite, the never-ending, that we all are and don't mind the time.
Oh Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you it's good to see you all again i wish you all a blessed day